The first lesson is taken from the 17th chapter of Ezekiel. Thus says the Lord God, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of a cedar. I will set it out. I will break off a tender one from the topmost of its young twigs. I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel, I will plant it in order that it may produce boughs and bear fruit and become a noble cedar. Under it, every kind of bird will live. In the shade of its branches will nest winged creatures of every kind. All the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. I will bring low the high tree. I will make high the low tree. I dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will accomplish it. Here ends the first lesson. We will now read responsively Psalm number 92, verses 1 through 4 and 11 through 14. It is a good thing to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High. On the psaltery and on the lyre, and to the melody of the harp. For you have made me glad by your acts, O Lord, and I shout for joy because of the works of your hands. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree, and shall spread abroad like a cedar of Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall steer, still bear fruit in old age. They shall be green and succulent. The second lesson is taken from the fifth chapter of Second Corinthians. So we are always confident, even though we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we do have confidence, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may receive recompense from, for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade others, but we ourselves are well known to God, and I hope that we are also well known to your consciences. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast in outward appearance and not in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ urges us on because we are convinced that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died." And he died for all, so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. 
even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. Here ends the second lesson. Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the fourth chapter. Glory to you, Lord. Jesus said, The kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know. The earth produces of itself, first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle, because the harvest has come. He also said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable will we use for it? It is like a mustard seed which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them except in parables, but he explained everything in private to his disciples. So ends the gospel for this day. Praise to you, O Christ. I have a very, very special, generous sister. And she's always given me little gifts. Of course, the greatest gift is just her presence in my life. One of the very special things that she gave me one time was this. It's an old photograph from the 1950s, girls. Can you imagine anything that old? The 1950s. It shows a young boy, about 10 years old, wearing a brand new red cassock and white kata and a red bow a member of the junior choir of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Harrisburg, where I grew up. This cherubic individual is, of course, me. Angelic, isn't he? My sister has written on this plastic, in her own hand, 
from tiny acorns grow mighty oaks. <laughs> now, I have severe doubts that I was ever tiny. My mother would take me to Bowman's department store and we'd always go to the Husky department. I also have doubts that I ever was mighty. I mean, that sounds pretty intimidating. I remember Mighty Mouse, one of my favorite comics growing up. But to say that I was mighty is stretching it a bit, I think. Nevertheless, it is true that the person that I was back then and the person that I am now, some 60 plus years later, is not the same. And I think I have grown. And I think in spite of what I thought at the time, I have been able to do things that I never at the time would have thought possible. Somehow, some way, God used me, even me, to be a spokesman for him. So that this shy boy that would have frozen at the thought of having to speak before his class in elementary school routinely would speak to groups of either 30 as we have here today and as we had up at Barner's to perhaps 500 as I had at Lebanon and didn't think twice about it. So it was that the God of miracles did a miracle in the face of what seemed to be impossible. Now, each of today's lessons basically tries to, I think, make the same point or similar point. The first lesson from the prophet priest Ezekiel was written by a man who lived at a terrible time. You think we have bad times today, it ain't nothing compared to what it was like when Ezekiel lived. He had to endure the destruction of Jerusalem in his lifetime and the pulling down of the temple, the very seat of God. He had to watch as the leaders of his people were carried into bondage in Babylon for 70 years. He lived at a time when everybody was tempted to give up. That's it. Can't nothing good come out of this. And to those people, and to those of us who may find ourselves in that position today, he wrote this. Thus says the Lord God, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of a cedar. I will break off a tender one. I will plant it in order that it may produce boughs and bear fruit and become a noble cedar. Under it, 
every kind of bird will live. In the shade of its branches will nest winged creatures of every kind. I, the Lord, have spoken, he said. I will accomplish it. People who walked in darkness saw light. The people who saw only chains in Babylon would experience a return to their homeland. It may have taken a while. Patience may have been required. But Ezekiel is saying, Wait upon the Lord and do not trust your own eyes, but rather the word of your Lord. For God keeps his promise. The Apostle Paul in today's second lesson, writing to the church at Corinth in Greece, a church that was famous for its growth, but also was famous for its divisions and had to deal not only with problems from inside the church, but also outside, as their neighbors did not trust them, feared them, persecuted them, did all manner of evil against them, and as they themselves had to deal with constant failures Death, sin, the power of evil, and injustice. And to those people, Paul wrote, So we are always confident. Can you imagine saying that to people like that? Why? For we walk by faith. Faith, not by sight. We walk on the strength of what God has done and not by what we perceive in our limited visions. And he concludes his words by saying, From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. Because we know that that man who we rubbed elbows with, whom we sat around many a campfire with, whom we foraged the fields with for food, who suffered and who died, also rose from the dead, and revealed that he was not just our brother, but our Savior and our God. And that same Jesus, who lived then and rose then, lives today and rises today in us, his church. Believe it. Now we come to the gospel, in which our Lord tells us two, again, very similar kind of themes 
in two parables. A parable, you remember, is a short story given for a religious purpose to try and make maybe just one major point. And it is clothed very disarmingly, perhaps, in just ordinary human vesture that any farmer could understand. What were the parables he told? First parable, he says, the kingdom of God, Jesus is always talking about the kingdom of God. Did you notice that? The place where God reigns. He said, the kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. That's the point, isn't it? What's this guy do? He walks along, throws some little seed around. What else does he do? He doesn't do anything but wait. He didn't spend time tilling the earth so that the seeds would have a nice place to fall. He didn't spend time bringing in special soils. He didn't bring in fertilizer. He didn't stay out there night and day with a hoe, raking up the, lead, the weeds. He didn't do any of that. But someone did. Someone did because the plants sprang from those seeds. And those plants were able to feed not only the man who sowed the seed, but everybody in the village, our village. Seems to me that the message is clear, isn't it? From small, seemingly insignificant work on our part, God is able to work great wonders for his kingdom. He did it then, he can do it now. A couple of uh, stories kind of occurred to me from my own life that uh, may help to illustrate this point. After being at St. John's for about 20 years, uh, I recall one Sunday, we had Sunday school before the service, and uh, you know, there's that 15 minutes in between where you're supposed to be able to get ready for worship. And uh, usually what happened at that time is that I left Sunday school hurriedly, ran upstairs, changed into my vestments, breathless, stood out there waiting for the choir to come up, get ready to come in, and you know the routine. Pure hectic. Well, this Sunday, for some reason, I didn't do any of that. I just sat back like a fly on wallpaper just to see what was happening. And you know, I was suddenly aware that there were people there, everywhere, people. There were kids rushing in and out, slamming doors back and forth somewhere in the deep bowels of the church. There were parents looking for their kids to take them up to worship. There were grandparents looking for their grandchildren to indulge or whatever grandparents do, and usually indulge is the word. 
There were strangers. The place was full of life. And I had to ask myself, yeah, I'd been there 20 years, and I hopefully had done something worthwhile, but where did all these people come from? How'd they get there? Must have been someone beside me, surely. Maybe someone and some ones that made that possible. Another illustration, as a pastor, when I go to seminary, I am instructed that one of my jobs is to constantly be on the lookout for potential future pastors, ordained ministers in the church. In fact, most congregations, constitutions say that too. Well, I took that job seriously. And... Over the course of many years, I identified two boys, they were boys, I admit it, sexist and all that. I grew up at a time when all pastors were boys, men. And I found two guys, and I boy, they make great pastors, great pastors, smart, gifted people, people, committed to the church, great. No, no brainer. Well, neither of them's a pastor. They're both still great people. You know, they're still practicing Christians and all of that. But they're not pastors. However, about five years later, one of my young girls in the church came up to me and said, Pastor, I want to go to seminary. Where'd that come from? And you know, she did. And she became a pastor in Ohio, and now she's a chaplain at Bloomington, Indiana, at the university there. How'd that happen? She told me I had some part in it. I inspired her to follow in my footsteps. Who knew? Who knew? Are you aware of how you inspire people to do good things for the kingdom? You probably aren't. Most of those things go right over our head. We're asleep like the guy that throws the seed out. But God isn't. God can use those moments in the most amazing way. Final story. Everyone likes this story. I'm an animal person. I confess it. I confessed it to the people of Barners. Everybody up there, even the older ladies, are hunters. I'll never be a hunter. I realize that you can be a hunter and you can love animals. But I am a classic animal lover. I've always had animals in my life. Well, for most of my life, I had dogs. A couple bunnies here, turtles, whatever. But 
20 years ago, my last dog died, and a neighborhood cat adopted me. And it was not long before I had not just one cat, but three cats living with me. Wouldn't you know it that my last cat, Tommy, died on the day that the pandemic broke out in its full force. And I had to spend that horrible time, like most of you did, looking at four walls all by myself. Horrible. So that when things began to loosen up a little bit, I began to look for cats that were available. Declawed cats. I'm sorry, declawed cats. And fixed cats. And lo and behold, somebody from my former congregation put me in touch with somebody else that had such a cat who was only three years old, and what do you think his name was? Bobby. My name is Bobby. A sign from God. So I get this cat. Oh, on the day that I went to pick him up in the mechanic's office, the lady said, oh, by the way, this cat is shy. Well, she wasn't just whistling Dixie. I got that cat home. First of all, he peed in the car. Got him home, and I didn't see him for three weeks. Well, I knew where he was, but he didn't want to come out of that hole that I had built for him. Especially after I had closed all the hiding places in the house so he couldn't get under the bed so I couldn't get to him. I thought, this is crazy. Why do you have an animal that you can never see? Oh, I was miserable. I worried, I despaired. I tried to take him back a couple of times. She wouldn't take him. I finally had a couple of cat whispers show up at my door. They said, oh, he'll be okay. You know that two days later, I was sitting watching some inane TV program on my easy chair in the living room. Bobby comes in, and jumps up on my lap, and he never left. And it's been a year. I would never have expected it. Apparently, the little things that I had done that he had observed said, I'm okay. Apparently, there were forces working in his life and mine that maybe I wasn't aware of, but they were there. And he called them God, because God's job is to bring us together in love. 
Jesus told another parable about mustard seed. You all know mustard seed, right? At one time, it seemed like every girl and every woman had a little mustard seed in a little glass globe around their neck. Do you remember that? Did you have one of those? They're yellow in that seed, usually. Jesus said it's the smallest of the seeds. Well, not exactly, but it's close to the smallest. And he said that when it's planted, it grows to become the greatest of the shrubs. And he was right. I understand that mustard plants in the Middle East can grow to a height of six to nine feet. That's big for a shrub. For a single grain of sand, as it were. God has made the small things blossom and grow so that it's big enough to take care not only of itself, but all those birds, birds, birds that are on its branches. Remind you of anything? Branches, cross, us. Jesus, I am told, I'm not an expert on this, I'll just add, I am told that in Indian cooking, they like to use mustard seeds, only these are different than the one we're familiar with. You know, the ones we're familiar with, they make them into a paste and then you spread it on your hot dog, you know. They like to use these black or brown things that are very small, and I understand if you eat them in nature, they're very bitter. But if you put them in oil, they will open and they will give a wonderful flavor that will come into the whole pan. And any food that you put in that pan to cook will be suffused with that same wonderful taste and aroma from that very unpromising seed. That is God at work. And today's lesson says, don't discount the importance of the moment, any moment in your life. Don't discount the gifts and the opportunities for sharing those gifts that God gives you. Most of all, don't discount the power and the love of God, which are strong enough to make you, even you, into an architect of his We closed our service up at Barner's today with a hymn that you all learned in Sunday school, probably, or Bible school. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine.